So we're talking about the renewing the mind and the tools that the Bible teaches us or gives to us for renewing the mind. And uh, remember the process here is in First Corinthians, Second Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6, it talks about uh, strongholds, imaginations, and thoughts. And the strongholds are those things that control you, that influence you, that seem to have a hold on you and cause you to react, and you don't know why you're reacting. It Maybe you you're, you're have trouble uh, uh, speaking to people, whatever it is, whether it's fear that has a hold of you. It could be drugs or it could be something else that has a hold of you. And that's a stronghold. And that stronghold is made up of imaginations, images that are formed in your mind over a period of years that become so deeply embedded in the way you see yourself, the way you see God, the way you see other people, that you react to it as if it's the truth. And we've learned that just because something in your mind does not mean it's the truth. Things can exist in your mind that aren't true. Dreams are a great example of that. And then um, we saw that those imaginations, those images are made up of thoughts. And so the process of renewing your mind is the process of dealing with this at the thought level. And that's what so many people that teach on this subject don't get to. And the first tool that we looked at for that was meditation. And we gave you some steps to go through meditation. And meditation is basically muttering to yourself. It's running around in your mind uh, of the Word of God. So we're taking purposely taking thoughts out of God's Word about you, about God, or whatever the stronghold is. And we're purposely planting new thoughts in our minds to counteract those old ones and to form thoughts, imaginations, and then strongholds that are based on God's Word. And that's the process here. So we've talked about meditation the last time, which was several weeks ago, we got into the second one, which is confession. And I shared with you a definition of confession means to to accept ownership of or to claim as yourself. So when we confess our sins, that's what we're doing. We're, We're accepting ownership of what I did. I did it. You know, I shot the slingshot through the window, and I'm, I'm responsible for it. And in Romans 10, 9 and 10, we saw that when we receive Christ, it says that, that we can, when we confess Him, we're literally accepting Him with our words. We're declaring He's mine with our words. So confessing Him as Lord is accepting Him as my Lord with my words. That's one meaning of confession. That's one purpose of confession. And so what confession does there is it's taking a truth that's real to you in God's Word and appropriating it by claiming it with your mouth. One of the ways of acting on our faith. Faith cannot just be something that exists in your heart. You then have to act on it. In order for it to come into fruition, in order for it to come into to bloom or to mature, you have to not just believe in your heart, but you have to do something now that's acting on the basis of that faith. And that seals that faith that, or releases it. And, 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 and so one of the ways to do that is to take what God's Word says, believe it, and then begin to declare that over your life. So that if you have sickness in your body and you see in the Word of God that it says in three separate places that Jesus bore your sicknesses and carried your diseases and you begin to believe that in your heart that becomes real to you, one of the ways now to begin to step out and act on that, of course, is to do something you couldn't have done with your body before. But sometimes you can't do that, so you've got to declare it and just agree with it with your mouth by saying, I don't care what my body tells me, I am healed because the Word of God says that. And as you begin to claim that with your mouth, with your words, you're accepting ownership of that and you're releasing your faith into that area. That's one purpose for confession. But there's a second purpose of confession and that's the one we're talking about. And that's where you take a scripture that is a truth of God's Word. Obviously, it's a truth of God's Word and it's something you don't necessarily believe. 
It's something that's not necessarily part of your heart. It's not down in your heart. But remember the process we're going through is intentionally, purposely putting new thoughts in our mind that are based on God's Word, what God says about you, about Him, or about whatever that stronghold is. So you take a Scripture that says, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. You may think you're nothing but a dirty worm in the kingdom of God, but the Word of God says that when you came to Christ... He took your old sin nature and gave you His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Verse 17 says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And verse 21 says what that new creature is. He took your sin and gave you His righteousness. Now when you first read that, the first time I read that, I didn't dare read it out loud. Because I was raised in churches that taught, you know, you're just a bunch, you're just a dirty worm. And I knew myself. I knew if I looked at myself, I wasn't the righteousness of God in Christ. But that's what it said. So the first time I ever heard a teaching on this, I decided to open up to that and speak those words out. And I could barely get them out because it was running up against the image that I had of myself. But I found the more I did that, the more I spoke that, the more I spoke in agreement with God's Word, then the more that became real to me. Because the process is you're taking Scriptures... That are obviously truth because they're in God's Word, and you're purposefully putting them into your mind as thoughts, just as though all those all negative thoughts were put into your mind over all those years of your life before. So you're purposefully putting them in. Now the wonderful thing about this is you don't have to even agree with it. You don't have to believe it, you don't have to agree with it. The very purpose for which you're doing this is to change what you believe. Because your mind will argue and say, well, you can't do that. You don't believe that. Yeah, that's exactly why I'm putting those thoughts in. The reason I can put them in is because God said that. That's what God said about me. That's what God said about himself. That's what God said about that situation. And as you begin to do that, and where we ended up last time, I used the example out of a sermon I heard Pastor Ray give years ago, which is where you take a rock, a huge rock, and you may hit it with a sledgehammer, and that sledgehammer doesn't look like it's done anything. And every time you hit that rock again, it looks like nothing's happening. It looks like nothing's happening. It looks like nothing's happening. But what you don't realize is every time you hit that with that sledgehammer, you're breaking down the molecular structure that holds that rock together. And one of those times when it looked like nothing's happening, you're going to come around and hit that rock and it's going to crack open inside. The same principle is true with sowing that word, sowing that truth into your mind. Your mind will argue with you, give you fits over it. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. It's exactly the same thing as when you've gone to the doctor. The doctor says, look, you've got bronchitis. Here, here's the prescription. You've got to take that pill three times a day, or a pill three times a day, and for, for ten days. And in about three days, you're going to start feeling better. But I don't care whether you feel better or not. Take the rest of the pills. And you know what? You don't have to believe in the medicine. You don't even have to be able to pronounce the medicine. You don't have to understand how it works. All you've got to do is do what he says. And there's enough power in that medicine to, to overcome that bacteria or virus or whatever it is that it's designed to overcome. Well, I guarantee you there's more power in this word than there is in erythromycin or any other myosin that's out there. This is the power of God's word has been given to do exactly this purpose. And as you just do it, just do it. Now, here's where the challenge is. It's like with the medicine. You do it for a while. It may feel like nothing's working. You may forget for a day or so. Just pick it up and do it again. You, you, you understand this. Whenever you start to change a habit, you will slip, most of us. 
And when you slip, don't get discouraged, don't quit, just start over again. Just pick it up, just pick it up. Because you didn't think negative thoughts about you all the time either. You had some good days. But you had more negative thoughts than positive thoughts. That's how you got where you are. So just do it. Just do it. It works. If you do it, it works. If you don't, it won't. All right. Now, in the process of doing this, there's something we didn't get into last time I want to mention. And that's to teach you another part of your anatomy. On each side of your head, God has placed a flap of skin and an opening into your head, inside of which there's a is an eardrum and various other parts of the organ so that you can hear. These are called our ears. And you can hear what I'm saying because God has given you ears to hear. But the Bible tells us you have another set of ears. You have the set that's on the side of your head, but that you have another set that's on the inside of you. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus teaches His disciples, and in several places He does this, He teaches his disciples some principles, and then he ends up with this amazing statement. In fact, the very first message I ever preached here, which is about 19 years ago, was entitled this, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus makes these profound statements and then ends it by saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In the book of Revelation, he says the same thing. In Revelation, I think it's in chapter 4, verse 3, he says, he says, he says something, in fact, there's several of the churches in there. He says something to the church and then says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That implies you can have ears that don't hear. Now, obviously, the disciples physically heard the words he was saying to them because somebody wrote them down. But he wasn't talking about hearing the words with their ears and their mind and understanding with their mind, he was talking about the reality of that getting into them deeper. And that's the process we're talking about by making a confession. You're trying to get through to that inner ear, the deeper part of you. And so that's the part you're speaking to, and that takes a while. And you will know when it happens. You'll know when it happens. Now, we don't have vending machines that work so much like this anymore, but they used to have, some of you younger people may not even remember these, we used to have pay phones. Watching a, a, a movie, it wasn't all that old, and the, you know, the, the, the policeman was running, I got to call the office, and he was running around looking for a pay phone. And I think, why didn't he use his cell phone? Well, they didn't have them back then. So, he had a, so when you put a coin in a pay phone, or in, a, in an old-fashioned vending machine, you could hear it, go through the different slots until it fell into the right slot. And that's what this is like. You keep putting the word in and putting the word in and putting the word. At some point, it's going to break through that rock. At some point, it's going to break through that stronghold. And then that reality of that word is going to drop down into your spirit. And it's going to come word to you. The Greek word for that is rhema. There's two basic Greek words that are translated in the English Bible, in our English Bible as word. One of them is a logos, L-O-G-O-S, which basically means the, the, the statement of a concept or of an idea, but there's no emotion necessarily attached to it. But the word rhema basically means that word then spoken. So when it's spoken, it's when it becomes a reality to you. I heard a teacher years ago explain the difference this way. Rhema is hatched logos. 
Ramos is Logos that's hatched. While that eggs are sitting there, they're just eggs. But once they hatch, they now become alive. And it's when that word now becomes alive in you. And when it happens, it changes you. You know it's happened. It now begins to possess you. It takes over and begins to control your imagination. You're thinking about a situation. And this is where most people break down when it comes to receiving healing or receiving the promises of God or the prayer of faith because they'll take a proposition from the Bible, they'll read it, and they'll agree with it, they'll believe it. And what they've done is mentally assented to it. Say, yes, that's true, I understand that. I agree with that. But it's not just agreeing with what God says that changes the stronghold. It's replacing the stronghold with a new stronghold. That old stronghold controls you. We talked about in 2 Corinthians 10 where it says it exalts itself against the knowledge of what God's like and what God wants to do and what God has done for you. It exalts itself. It holds itself up in opposition to that truth, that word working in your life. And what you want to do is replace it with a new stronghold that doesn't oppose the knowledge of God. It releases the knowledge of God down in this inner level, not in your mind, but down in this inner level. And I know this is renewing the mind, but your mind, remember, is the gateway that controls what gets into you, into your spirit, and what comes out of your spirit. So what we're doing is we're changing the mind to align it with the Word of God so it will allow that truth to get down inside of you. Because once it gets down inside of you, you know it's true. You know it's true. Years ago, there was a situation where my wife went for a checkup and the doctor found something in her abdomen that wasn't supposed to be there. And he said, there's, a, there's some kind of tumor in there. And he said, what, you know, he said, I'm going to run a series of tests and then we'll figure out what to do with it. Well, that wasn't good news to us. And I remember driving by a hospital in the city we were working. And I remember God speaking to me so clearly because that shook us. And because your mind begins to run. Your mind begins to run. And, and the Lord spoke to me so clearly as I went past the hospital. He said, John, I can heal her one of two ways. I can heal her in there or I can heal her by my word. It's your choice. So I went home and told her that and we just made a commitment. We turned off the TV. We turned off everything that was not this word of God regarding healing. And every night when I came home from work, we'd sit down and we'd go over it together and over it together. And we shut everything else out. See, most people aren't willing to be that radical. They, you, know, you know, here's what most people do. That I, when I've been involved with somebody that's suddenly in a physical emergency or medical emergency, you go into the hospital, you go to visit them at home, they're playing CDs. Because they think by playing CDs, it's going to build their faith up. And it will Listening to CDs will build your faith up, but only to a point. Only to a point. There comes a point when your mind has to hear it from somebody else. Not just Brother Copeland or not just Brother Hagen or not just, you know, Marilyn Hickey or somebody like that. There comes a point when your own mind and your own heart has to hear that truth from somebody else and that somebody else is you. Because when you speak it to yourself, it comes with an authority that's beyond anybody else that speaks it to you. Their word will give you hope. Their word will teach you scriptures you may not know. Their will will build your faith up to a point. But there comes a point where it's got to come out of your mouth. 
It's got to come out of your mouth, first of all, to convince you. Then it's got to come out of your mouth to speak to the situation. And it's got to come out of your mouth to speak to the devil. But before you get to that point, it has to become real to you at this level that I'm talking about. So most people, I go into their hospital room or go visit them, they're playing safes and CDs as if that's enough. That's a start, but that's not enough in most cases. Yeah, if you're dealing with a headache or a hangnail, maybe it is. But if you're dealing with something life-threatening that you've discovered in an urgent situation quickly, you need to take radical steps. And the question is, how much do you want it? That's what God was asking me. How much do you want? You can go in there and have surgery or I can do it from my word. It's your choice. I'll do it either way. It's up to you. No sense of condemnation. He was just making clear to me. And so we got everything else out of our life except the word of God on that subject. And I don't remember how long it was. Weeks, several weeks. We just went over that and we lie in bed at night and when the fear thoughts would come, we'd answer it with the word of God out loud together. And to shorten the story down, when she went back to have them run the test, they couldn't find anything. But here's the point. I knew that, and she knew that, before she went to the test. There came a point, and I'd never had it happen like this before, where the reality of that dropped down inside, and we knew it, that it was gone. It was nice to hear it from the doctor, but we didn't throw any great celebration. He was telling us something that was already real here. See, it was now a truth to us in here. Whereas before, we were mentally agreeing with the Scriptures. Yes, God's Word says, by His stripes I'm healed. Yes, God's Word says that, and I agree with that, and I believe that's the truth. That's not enough. That's mentally agreeing with what God says. If Jesus said, if you'll believe in your heart, not your head, And what most of us do is we know enough Scripture to believe it in our head, and that's not what worked. That's not enough to work. It's a start, but it's not enough to work. You've got to get it dropped, and when it does, you'll know it. When it does, you'll know it. And so that's what the goal of all of this, and that's what those inner ears are about. Now, how do you do it? You simply speak verses over and over to yourself. You don't need to understand it. You don't need to agree with it. See, your mind will eventually give up. Your mind will eventually give up. We've taught you before, it's like a spoiled child in most of our cases. It wants to do what it wants to do, and it'll come to church and listen for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour message. It'll come and do so. But you keep saying something over and over again that it may not agree with, or it may want to go watch TV, or it may want to go do something else, but you make it do it anyway, eventually that mind will give in. And when it begins to give in, then the truth is going to begin to get in in even deeper. So it's simply speaking the word over and over again. But it helps if you're conscious of why you're doing it. If you're conscious that you're planting new thoughts in your mind with the purpose of establishing new images and new strongholds. And again, your mind doesn't have to understand it. It doesn't even have to agree with it. In fact, the fact that you're changing what you believe means you don't already agree with it. It doesn't take any faith to do this. It's like taking your medicine. It just works because it's anointed to do that. And your feelings have nothing to do with it. Now, when you're doing this, some things that help is try not to let your mind wander because it will want to do that. Try not to let your mind wander. 
Think about what you're doing. Think about the process. Remember, you're doing this intentionally. And think about what you're saying, because actually you can make a confession and meditate on that scripture at the same time. God, there's several examples in the Bible where God uses confessions to change a man's image of himself. Jacob's a great example of that. We talked about Jacob before. Uh, Jacob was one of the two twins, Esau and, and Jacob. And God's will was for Jacob to rule over Esau. And, and when he was born, uh, we've talked about it before, Jacob's the birthright of those years went to the firstborn son, which was Esau. But God had said over them that the young older was going to serve the younger. God was going to reverse that birthright, and since he's God, he has the right to do that. But when he was born, uh, Jacob was born holding on to the heel of his brother. Why? He was trying to pull his brother back so that he could be born first and get the birthright. So even in his mother's womb, he was trying to come out first. He was trying to get that first place position. And his parents named him Jacob. Well, the name Jacob means supplanter or somebody that butts in line. (laughs) Somebody that tries to take somebody else's rights for himself. That was his name. And in those days, your name had a significance because it was a reflection of your character and it was a statement of your destiny. But God had spoken a different destiny over him. God had spoken at his birth that he was going to be the one that was going to rule his family. And what happened, of course, through a whole series of events, he ends up with his uncle Laban because he tries to take things into his own hands. And on the way back from Laban's household, Laban tried to do the same thing with Jacob that Jacob had done with his brother Esau. And on the way back, Jacob has a one-on-one encounter with God all by himself. God gets him alone. And in the end of that encounter, they're wrestling. he's wrestling with God, which represents prayer. The sun begins to come up and the angel of the Lord says, I've got to go. And this time Jacob grabs onto him just like he grabbed onto his brother, but not to take his place so he wouldn't let go of the blessing that this angel had for him. And he says, no, I will not let you go until you have blessed me. In other words, his faith had now risen to the point that he had a hold of God and it didn't matter even what God said, he was not going to let go of God until he had from God what he wanted from God. And the angel says, what's your name? He's going to get a confession out of him of what he's been like. He says, well, my name's been Jacob. My name's Jacob. I'm a supplanter. I'm a cheater. I'm a fraud. And the angel says, that's what your name has been. But from now on, your name will be Israel, which means Prince of God. So in order to change his image of himself, the angel changed his name. Why? I believe in part because every time he would now hear that name or speak that name, he was hearing and speaking a confession over who he was. Now imagine all he had to overcome. All the images in his mind and in other people's mind, the strongholds that he had to overcome now because he was... His nature had changed, his ways had changed, but all those old memories, all those old relationships, he still had to face his brother. And so he had to change the image that he had of himself to the image that God had of him. Another man was Abram, his grandfather. Abram. Was, the name Abram means, means a father of, of many. And God confronts him and gives him a, 
enters into a covenant with him and says, I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham, which means a father of many nations. So I believe in part these were ways of getting these men to make a confession over themselves as to who they were now. All right. The next tool we're going to talk about, I want to get through the tools tonight. The next tool we're going to talk about is monitoring your thoughts. Monitoring your thoughts. That goes back to something that we've uh, talked about before when he talked about the UPS man at the door and the doorbell rings and the door opens and the practice that most of us have without thinking is we sign for the package and then find out what's in the package after it's now ours because once you sign for the package, it's now yours. And then we use the example. That's an example, but that's exactly what we do with our thoughts. We let all kinds of thoughts in without even being aware that those thoughts are coming in our mind. And yet those thoughts can be coming in from Satan. They can be coming in from all kinds of sources. And, and, and each of those thoughts is a dot in some image. And we really need to take responsibility for what thoughts we're allowing in our minds. And that's why we spent some time talking about the fact that you can control your mind. You can exercise control of your mind. And the reason why that's so important is so that you can begin to exercise control over what thoughts you let in, both the thoughts you purposefully put in and the thoughts you say, no, that's not my thought. I don't want to take that thought. I don't have to take that thought. But in order to do that, you've got to become aware of your thoughts. Now, one way to do that, when I taught this as a course, one of the exercises I would do, and I didn't mention this to you earlier, but you can begin to do it, is to begin to keep a diary. Now, that's popular with some people, and that's wonderful. It's a good thing to do. And I'm, or a journal is another word for it. But here's what I would teach the students to do. He said, every time I would give them a verse to read, just one verse to read every day for, for, the, for that week, and then I would say, take this journal. I'm never going to read it. Nobody else is going to read it. And while you're reading that verse, write down every thought you have. And they kind of look at me. I said, every thought, whether it's nonsense or not, whether it's ridiculous, whether it makes any sense or not, whatever, just write it down. Because by doing that, you're making yourself conscious of your own thoughts. Now, some people do that automatically. For some reason, I grew up becoming very conscious of my thoughts. In fact, I had the opposite problem. I not only monitored my thoughts, I monitored my thoughts about monitoring my thoughts. And then I learned to monitor my thoughts about monitoring my thoughts about monitoring my thoughts. And I would end up all tied up in a knot and paralyzed and never could do anything because I was always analyzing my own thoughts. And I've had to unlearn that. But most people have the opposite problem. They're having thoughts all the time and they're not even aware of them. And those thoughts are forming images and strongholds in our mind. So in order to do this, we're going to really have to learn to be aware of the thoughts that we have. So a good exercise to do that is to get a little notebook and keep it by your Bible or whenever it is you read your Bible in the morning or whenever it is you read it because you do read it, don't you? Okay. And, and when you're reading your Bible, whatever thoughts you have, don't, don't go into some long explanation. Just write the thought down. Because to stop and write the thought down means you've had to become aware of it. You don't even need to go back and reread the thoughts if you don't want to. It's up to you. And you certainly don't have to show them to anybody. But it's a way, a technique of training your mind to become aware of your thoughts, your own thoughts. So it's important to develop an awareness of your thoughts. 
be, first of all, one of the ways to do this is to back into it, is to be able to identify the strongholds in your life. And we're going to end, the, end this series at the end, helping you to identify some of those strongholds, but we've talked about some. I mean, the biggest ones are what God's like. Is He mean? Is He a taskmaster? So many people see God as a taskmaster, just the way the Egyptians had a taskmaster. What a taskmaster does is tell you, this is what you've got to do, may or may not give you the materials to do it, and then either beat you up because you don't do it right, or they just look at you and expect you to do it right, but there's no relationship there. And that's how many people see God. We just dress it up in religion and make it sound good. But the real measure of what you see, how you see God, is how do you interact with Him. When you hear, when, when you realize, you know, God's drawing you to prayer, is that something you're excited about? Or is it, oh, I've got to pray today. I forgot to pray today. Oh, it's Tuesday at 6 o'clock. I know I should go there, but I'm tired and it's been a hard, long day. See, when we think that way, it's because we really don't know what God's like. Or we don't have confidence that we know God's wonderful, God loves us, but we don't have confidence that He would hear us because we know what we're like. So those images of yourself and of God get carried out in the way you interact with Him. So many of us have this expression, you know, I've tried everything else, I guess we've got to go pray. Do you understand what that's saying? That's saying, I've had confidence in all my friends that I can call. I've had confidence in, you know, the psychic, psychic phone line or whatever it is. I've had confidence in, confidence in all these other things. I guess I'm finally left with hoping maybe God can help me. That reflects an image of Him. That reflects an image of Him. Let's get really down to it. Worry. When we worry and we fret, what the Bible tells us, what the Sermon on the Mount teaches us, that's because I don't trust Him. Why would I worry about something that's in His hands, the hands of a God that loves me and has promised me He'll never leave me or forsake me and He'll meet all my needs? Why would I worry? Well, I don't see anything happening. That's trusting more in what I see than in God's Word. So those attitudes, those actions are reflections of these images and strong images that we have on the inside. And once you begin to identify what those images are like, now you begin to look at thoughts you have that either feed those and reinforce them or are replacing them. So you can begin by just becoming aware of the strongholds that are in your life, whether it may be your image of God, your image of yourself, it may be images of people in authority, it may be images of it's your parents, of your parents, it may be images of all kinds of situations. But you know they're in strongholds because you react to them without understanding why. And most of you are got to be aware of at least some strongholds in your life. That's why you would come here on the night before July 4th. Okay. Then begin to think about, all right, if that's a stronghold in my life, what's the image that makes that stronghold up? How do I see God? What do I really think of God? By the way, He already knows, so don't be afraid to go in that area. He wants you to see what you think of Him. 
That doesn't mean that's what you believe in your heart, but that's what the image that you have in your mind is. What are these images that are making up this stronghold? And learn to identify the thoughts that you've been letting in. Then what you want to do is begin, once you begin to think about your thoughts, is learn to catch them at the door when the doorbell rings. Recognize the thoughts. See, I've become, I've trained myself to do this. And when I catch myself with a thought that's not one I want, I answer the thought. I've got to practice. I'll walk around. I'll just say, no, in the name of Jesus, no. I may say it very much under my breath. But I used to do that when I worked in a law firm. I might have done it in a courtroom. Wherever I was, when I'd catch that thought that I know was not a thought, I would answer that thought. I would answer that thought. I wouldn't wait till later because to wait till later is to let it in. I would answer that thought. In fact, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We mentioned this when we went through this, but we didn't dwell on it. Because this is a great example of how we read our Bible. We say, yes, I agree with that. But down inside, we don't believe it. Verse 5. Casting down imagination, arguments or imaginations and every high thing, every, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And look at this. Bringing most thoughts into captivity. Every thought into captivity. That means you capture that thought and you bring it into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Well, Christ is the Word. So you bring that thought into obedience with the Word, with Christ. And if it doesn't line up with that, you reject it. You reject it. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Sometimes you've got to get ruthless with yourself. Jesus said, if your eye offends you, cut it out. Well, we're not supposed to go through life with one eye, because most of us would be blind by now a long time ago. And we wouldn't have hands. And... But he's saying there, be ruthless. Whatever you've got to do, do it. This is what so many of us are not willing to do. All right, every thought captive. Take every thought captive. Okay. Now, learn to question yourself. Ask yourself questions. When you find yourself, see, and we talked about this early on in this series. God gave us some, our, our feelings aren't bad. Sometimes in the faith circle, we think feelings are, are, are somehow demonic or they're not godly to have them. God gave us feelings. God gave us emotions. The problem is we've used them for the wrong reasons. Just like God gave you taste buds, not so you could decide everything to eat, but we are to involve our taste buds in the process. Getting, having dinner tonight, th- that I poured some milk and I went to drink it and it just didn't taste right. So I asked Anita, she smelled it and it didn't smell right. Guess what? I didn't drink it. That was enough. My senses, my, my taste buds, and, my, and her, 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 sm- her smell buds uh, were enough to tell, uh-oh, something's wrong. That's why they're located where they are. So they're not evil, but I just don't eat everything I t- that tastes good. 
There's some things that may not taste as good, but they're good for me to eat. So I've got to learn to eat things that may not taste as good to me. And guess what? The more you do that, the better they begin to taste. And so, so we've got to learn to identify the thoughts. But one of the ways to do this is to recognize your emotions. So when you find yourself getting anxious, when you find yourself... And usually there are different levels of emotions... So usually when, you know, when you're upset at somebody or you're upset about a situation, most likely there's another emotion underneath it. There are certain primal emotions. There are certain basic emotions. One of the most basic is fear. Fear very often is experienced as something else. As we get angry at people, we deflect it in other ways. A lot of times when people get touchy or upset or angry, what's really going on underneath is something deeper than that. It may be a fear. It may be some kind of inadequacy. It may be something else like that. The point is this. When you recognize an emotion, especially a negative emotion, that's a time to stop and ask yourself, what's behind this emotion? Because remember I taught you emotions. We talked about the different parts of man and the three different parts of your, of your soul, your, your, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And I ta- taught you that your emotions come from thoughts. Now, the thoughts can be very quick, and they can be a series of them, so fast that you're not aware of them because you're not used to catching those thoughts. So you go from somebody tells you something, and the next thing you know, you want to take somebody else's head off. And you don't know why. What's happened in the meantime is that person said something, and your mind took that words, and out of that, some thoughts processed in your mind, and those thoughts triggered the emotion of fear. And then that fear led to anger. So you feel the anger, go back and look at, all right, why am I feeling angry? Am I, is there something deeper here? Is there something that's made me feel afraid? Then I identify the fear. All right, what's, what thoughts do I have that may be the basis for my feeling this fear? And then when you identify the thoughts, the next step to go is measure those thoughts against this word. Is what I'm thinking true? Simple example, and I've shared this with you before. Years ago, I had a, a, a physical on a Friday. And I, I go, come home. It was like at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I come home from work. It was before I was working here. I was practicing law. I went home, uh, turned on the answering machine, and said, this is Dr. So-and-so's office. Um, you had your blood work done today. Please call us first thing Monday morning. Thank you. 5.30 on a Friday afternoon, the office is closed. Because I, I know myself at that point. Now, I've learned to overcome this to a large degree. All I know, because I began to get anxious. I began to get uptight, and I know myself well enough to know, and I began to feel short with my wife and the kids, and I began to realize when I'm feeling short with people, that's not the way I normally am, so there's something underneath this. So I went back. What's going on? There was, oh, I got this phone call. I wonder, and I know myself well enough to know I was afraid. There was fear beginning to grow in my mind. And then I went back and looked at the thoughts I'd let through my mind. The phone message. So the next thing I know is saying there's something wrong that they don't want to tell me, that they're, having me, they're going to have me come in because he wants to give me bad news. And by the time I let my mind run far enough, I had an image in my mind of a week from now, I'm in the hospital with tubes hanging out of me, and they're coming to give me last rites. <laughs> Almost that bad. No wonder I had fear. 
So I had to go back and re... This is what I did. I retraced my thought pattern. Because you can learn to do that. All right, what was the thought that caused the fear? Ah, the image of tubes coming out of me in the hospital. The image of something serious being wrong. Then I went back and, well, why would I think that? Well, because they told me this, but I don't know. And then I had to go back and I went back to, well, what is it that I know? All I know is they said to call them Monday morning. That's all I know. So I had to cut everything off except that. Because I don't know anything other than that. Because remember, your mind connects dots together to form pictures. That's an instinct of your mind to create meaning out of things. And I didn't have enough data to form a picture here, but my mind went ahead and filled in the dots. So if you, what you've got to learn to do is retrace your thoughts. Go back and go back over the way your mind tied the thoughts together. And as you do that, you'll begin to understand how that image is being formed. Okay. So that comes by asking yourself questions. What's led to this emotion? And another thing I've learned to do, every once in a while I ask myself, what am I thinking right now? What's my mind gone right now? Now, if you're at work or something like that, you know, hopefully your mind's focused on work, but... There are lots of times our mind can be focused on a number of things at the same time, which leads to the next thing. Do not, do not, not do, do not, bold letters, all uppercase, underlined, exclamation point, do not let your mind freewheel or roam. Don't just let your mind run. Free will means it just, it's just thinking on its own. Because until your mind is renewed to this word, it's going to free will or roam on negative thoughts. Don't let your mind just wander around because you're asking for trouble. Learn to purposefully think thoughts. And you can do that. Now, understand and we'll... As we get to the end of this series, you'll go, I'll go back over this, how we, how we change and the things to expect. When you're learning to do this, you are going to make mistakes. You're going to slip. You're going to go through days where you didn't think about it. You're, just don't get discouraged. Just pick it up. Because even if you stumble and fall and forget for a week and you start over again, you're still ahead of where you were. Your mind will try to talk you. Oh, you're not going to do this. You can't do this. It's like dieting. You can't do this. It's one day at a time. In the beginning, it may be one hour at a time. But just keep at it. And what it is, is you're learning new habits. You're learning new habits. Remember I talked about the dog training and my, my, my father-in-law's dog that was like eight or nine years old and I talked, asked the dog trainer. He said, I can train any dog. I said, well, no, no, no. My father-in-law's got a dog. I don't think that dog can be trained. He said, I can train any dog. I said, but the dog old. He's totally spoiled. He says, it will be, it'll take longer, but I can train that dog. And so your mind can be trained. Okay. So don't let it freewheel. Don't let it float. Because until your mind is renewed to the Word of God, it's going to drift to negative thoughts. And at the very least, it's just a waste of time to let your mind wander around. Let me ask you this. Would you let your kids wander anywhere? 
You just let your kids loose in any neighborhood and wander around without finding out where they are? Why? Because they can get into trouble. Your mind can get into trouble faster than your kids can. Your mind can go places quickly your kids could never go. Your mind can get into things your kids could never find or pay for by your imagination. Don't let your mind wander without your controlling where it's going. All right, next tool. That was monitoring your thoughts. Next tool. This is an exciting one. It's fasting. Oh, I knew that would be exciting. And I just want to touch on it. There are many different types. It's not a major one, but the real value of, test, of fasting for this purpose is getting control of yourself. Because with most of us, our flesh is out of control. So if our flesh is out of control, that means we're not in control. So if I'm not in control of my flesh, I most likely am not in control of my mind. So you'll find... See, if you begin to get in control of one part of you, you'll be able to get in control of all parts of you. And it's easier to control your appetite than it is to control your mind. Because all you got to do is lock the food up. <laughs> you got to decide to do that, but once you've locked it up, it's a lot easier to not go unlock it. Whereas it's hard to lock your mind's thoughts up. Okay. So the value is that it puts you in control. And it, 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 it begins to assert the spirit man in you, again, to have dominion, which is what this is really all about. Another one, another uh, a tool that you can have, is, if this is so simple and basic, it's just studying God's Word. You understand there's different ways of, of what things you can do with this Word. You can just read it, which is a good thing to do. In the mornings, by and large, I'll read this as a devotional. So I'm reading it with the idea that it's speaking to me. It's God speaking to me. Just to encourage me, it may be to give me some direction for the day, but then there are other times I read it to study. Not just so much for messages. I don't spend a lot of time studying for messages. I just spend time studying. And then God turns them into messages. And so I'll take, there'll be a something that I sense God's trying to show me or a subject He's trying to show me. So I'll take scriptures and begin to go in and study those scriptures. And by studying, it means digging in a little deeper. It means looking up those words maybe in a concordance or looking them up in a Bible software that you can get. There. I mean, we have no excuse. We have no excuse. I have on here over 150 Bibles. I don't read 150 Bibles, but they come with different versions of the software I have on here. I have on here, I have it on my iPad, I have it on my laptop, I have hardcover Bibles. I am without excuse. One of the reasons I have them on here, if I'm in a waiting room somewhere or something like that, there's nothing else to do, instead of reading, you know, instead of reading some world magazine, I put on the Bible and begin to read scriptures. Or I, and this one will pick up with where I left it off on my laptop. So I can, we have no, we are without excuse. But you can get them that have little concordances on them. You can buy, we have them in the bookstore. And what it is, is you then begin to dig into it to find out, you know, what, what other meaning is there. Or look in commentaries and you can get those online. You can get those... Pastor Ray was telling me, maybe Pastor Joe, somebody's telling me, they do their search by going to Google. They just put a scripture in Google and you get all kinds of Bible verses come up with that. We have, it's incredible the resources that we have available to us to get in there and then to study. Because what studying is doing, meditating is taking a verse, 
running it around in your mind. Confession is taking a verse and speaking it over and over again because you're trying to change your mind. But study is getting deeper into it to get understanding of what those scriptures mean. Go back and look at the, at the historical context of why that book was written. When you understand that, why Galatians was written or why 1 John was written, it, 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 it gives you some little deeper understanding of some of the way, why John or why, or why Paul was saying what they were saying. While you're doing that, you're, getting, you're putting thoughts in your mind. While you're studying, you're putting thoughts in your mind. You're building images in your mind. It's another tool. It's more than meditating. It's digging into God's Word. What you're looking for with study is you're looking for greater understanding. You're looking for greater understanding. You're looking for greater understanding. Pull together verses on the same subject. I keep scripture lists. I got... See if I have it in here. This is before I had any kind of software... I got scripture lists in here on, here's a list of scriptures I put together on God's willingness to answer prayer. Here's a whole bunch I put together on healing. I just kept pieces of paper in my Bible, and every time I saw a verse that was along that line, I wrote it down. And so, just begin to put lists together, and then go over those lists. That says, so, it builds together subjects. It's, I always used to wonder, God, why the law books they take a subject and they put everything you need to know about that in that subject. God, why didn't you do that here? You know, why, why didn't you... Now, there's a Bible out there that does it. It's Nave's Topical Bible. But God, why didn't, you, why didn't you do this this way? And, and I can just tell you the answer I got. There may be many other answers. The answer I got is he said, because you've got to dig. You've got to mine in here to get the, some of these truths. You've got to work at it. Then I saw this image. So many of the encounters that God had with people, especially in the Old Testament, but even some in the New Testament, I was, happened on the top of a mountain. God called Moses to the top of a mountain. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the top of a mountain. Jesus would go up on a mountain to pray. You know, in order to get to the top of the mountain, you've got to climb. You've got to get over rocks and over obstacles. You've got to go somewhere that not a lot of people go. And when you get there, it's pretty much alone because there's not a lot of other people hanging out up there. It's a lot of work. When I was 15 years old, my family and I, uh, males in our family, climbed uh, Mount Katahdin up in northern Maine. And it was an experience I'll never forget, nor do I want to do it again. (laughs) But it was an experience. It literally took, I don't know, four or five hours to climb up to the top of this mountain over rocks and everything. You get up there, there's nobody else up there but you because it only a few people are going to go through that effort to get up there. The same is true about mining truths out of this word. So God says, there's some things in here that the only way you're going to find them is you're going to have to take the time and the effort to dig into them. And as you do it, my spirit will guide you. But if you're just reading over lately, if you're just reading over to say, I've read my Bible today, you're going to miss those truths. This is a living word. I can't tell you the times I've read a scripture that I've read hundreds and hundreds of times, preached on it, have series out there, and suddenly I'll see something. I saw something this morning. I never saw that in there before. And I know it's been in there. Nobody wrote in my Bible. It's been in there before. So it's studying. It's digging into it. And as you're doing that, guess what you're doing? You're planting thoughts. You're planting seeds. You're impressing them in your mind. You're forming images. And while you're doing that, other thoughts can't get in. Because remember, one of the principles I taught you, you can't think more than one thought 
at a time. So while you're thinking God's thoughts, you're not thinking other thoughts. That's one way to stop. If you're having trouble with bad thoughts, start purposefully answering them with God's thoughts, especially about that subject. Okay. The last thing I'm going to talk to you about tools, and then we're going to, next time we'll get into uh, uh, one final subject, is it's vital to, as you're doing this, because it's one thing to sit here and to listen and say, wow, that was good. I need to hear that. And to look at the, maybe look at the notes or get the CD and listen to it and say, boy, that's good. What that does is it inspires you. And it gives you understanding of what to do. But it's only as you do it that it works. In James chapter 1, it says, don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. Because he said, if we only hear the word and we don't hear it with the intention and follow through on doing it, we deceive ourselves. Why? Because we think that hearing the word is the same as doing it. Because when you hear the word, you feel better. When you hear the word, you're encouraged. When you hear the word, you have hope. But encouragement and hope and feeling better aren't change. They're the first step for it, but it will not happen unless you do it. So in order to do it, you're going to have to establish some kind of routine that may be different or in addition to what you've already established. And here's what I would recommend. I would recommend that you, whatever, because we're going to end by helping, you know, you pick a, a topic. You pick a stronghold in your life that you want to replace with a godly stronghold. So we'll be specific. So just don't start doing it in general. Be specific. Be directive. Aim at something. Because as you're doing that, you'll develop the skill to then apply this into other areas. But if you just decide, hey, I'm going to renew my mind. That's the mistake most people with prayer. They pray. But prayer is asking God. So if you went to somebody and said, hey, I want to ask you something. Okay. Well, I'm here to ask you something. Good. Great. Okay. Well, I'm here to ask you something. Isn't that what prayer is? So we come and we spend, I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour, asking God. We're praying, which is asking God. Yeah, but what do you ask? Well, I'm here to ask you. God, we love you. We want to ask you something. Good. All right. Yep. Okay. What is it? See, with people, we have to get specific. Your kids come to say, well, you know, if you notice children are specific, I want ice cream. Well, I want chocolate ice cream, and I want three scoops and I want nuts on them, I'm going to lose some of you in a minute. I want, you know, they know what they want. They're not shy to ask about it. But we get very general with God. Why? Because the more general they are, with a bigger target, we give him to hit. God, I want world peace. Well, the same is true with this process. Be specific. Target something. So, I would suggest this. Select a scripture that speaks to that subject and begin to make a confession of that scripture. The mistake I used to make is I collect a bunch of scriptures and I would go through and make a bunch of confessions, but it, it, it watered it down. But one scripture over and over and over again. I do that at least twice a day. I, I, I did it by starting my prayer time out with that. It's a good idea to do it before you go to bed. And the other way to do this is when you begin to get contrary evidence, 
So you begin to get thoughts that are contrary to that, that's another time to make that confession. Another thing, have a study time. It doesn't have to be two hours. It can be ten minutes. The key with all of this is consistency. Some, some people do is they, they want to, they're going to jump into this whole hog, so I'm going to spend an hour studying, I'm going to be an hour, and they can't, they won't do that. So after two days, they, they get down to half an hour, then it's ten minutes, then they get discouraged and quit. Pick something you know you'll do. Pick something you know you'll do. Okay. And then use those verse cards that I talked to you about before. Okay. Well, we're going to have to end here. What we're going to get into, the last subject we're going to cover is, is the attitude of change. Because none of this will work if we don't change. Because this is all about change. And if we don't have an attitude to change, we will never change. So there are certain things built into us that we have to confront before we're going to really make a significant change. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Thank you that your word not only gives us principles and, 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 and tells us what you've done, but your word is filled with practical tools and practical exercises and practical things that we can do. And as we do them, Father, we thank you that what you've said you will do will come about. And we thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.